0: Hi everybody, welcome to episode 28 of uh, Satellite 664. I'm one of your three co-hosts, Kaz Tag Yan. As always, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Steve Loopy Newhouse um, and Mr. Paul Lindop. Good evening, uh, gentlemen. Actually, good good day, gentlemen. How are you today? It's,
1: yeah, good. good afternoon from the UK. Yeah,
0: and, good afternoon, and I wish everybody a happy new year. Yes, yes. Uh, d- we're recording December the thirty. By the time this show comes out, it'll be twenty twenty two already. But yeah, uh, uh, Yeah, don't, don't watch
1: this while you're drunk, otherwise you'll have to watch it again. In fact, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> it boosts out figures, but don't forget to subscribe, of
0: course. So, look, well, we're going to do something uh, quite unique. We're going to do something that we've never done before. We're we're actually going to be uh, tour guides, Loopy. Lu- Where have you? You're going to, you, you and Paul are going
1: to represent. It's that song, I've been everywhere, man. I've been
0: everywhere. <laughs> well, a lot of these places mm-hmm. we're going to talk about, you actually have been to. So, so uh, look, now, we we are today going to do something really off the wall. Uh, it, it was a last minute decision we decided to do but uh, to cover this topic. It's, and it was-
1: actually, it's actually a good idea because I don't, I mean, I know that uh, there are people out there that. That like to do what we're going to sort of class as a maiden's tour of London. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's something we've never discussed. So I, I think it actually make a lot of sense, you know, to sort of go through some of the sites um, and sort of kind of explain roughly where they were, what happened there, and take it from there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a long time ago
0: there was a thread. Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a thread on the Iron Maiden <laughs> forum. About sort of significant London sites, yeah, there was, there was, yeah, yeah,
1: people, were, yeah, uh, contributed to historic sites of uh, maiden places in London,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah so, I, I, I think the other day I was, um, I don't know, I don't know what I was doing, probably washing the dishes or something, and I just, I just, 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 just came into my head, why don't we do a, a show just covering the major sites in, in London, kind of have it as a as a, as, a, as a guide, you know, uh, so hmm. it can be a Iron Maiden tour guide, so, you know, and, well, and as just, a you... I
1: can you see just, me getting asked to write a book about it if I've got a phony for you. You're going to get asked to write a book about it? Uh, I mean, you know, somebody will go, well, oh, why don't you turn it into a book? That's a really good idea. That's actually like, a really good idea. So someone will. Yeah, <laughs> you go. That's it.
0: Well, I can maybe sit on this episode and release it a bit later if
1: and get get you to start the draft if you like. No, it's. It, 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 I've got too much else going on, Casey. Okay, so <laughs> if <laughs> I do, it's
0: not going to be for at least a year. All right, all right. So, um, oh, look, let's let's go. This is going to be fun. We have not prepared for this hardly. Well, we've maybe done a little bit, but not not the. Not the, the the level of research we normally put in, but um, let's go. Um, with all these travel restrictions, I I I can't you know come to London at the moment. So so you guys can take me to these sites, right? So uh, let's go. Let's start now. Um, we've got a couple on the list that we've already covered in previous episodes, so we won't talk about. It. We don't really need to talk about the cart and horses. Uh, episode two. Was a, a very extensive uh, sort of uh, uh, discourse about uh, the cart. Um, actually, Lupi, whilst we're here, what's the update? Just a very quick executive summary on where the cart is at the moment.
1: Um, as far as I'm aware, um, we've got the, the apartments are being built at the back, uh, like behind the cart. They've been started, it's basically it's going to be a six-storey 6, uh, six story tower going to the back there. Um, so as far as I'm aware, that, that project is underway. Um, where they've kind of encroached onto the back of the park, the smoking area obviously is now gone. Um, and to the point where um, the, the bar upstairs um, has now been sort of pushed forward. So you've literally got around about, I would have said, 30 feet at the most from the door to the bar. At the absolute most. Um, And they've still got to try and get a pool table in there and whatever. So there's not much room upstairs, but the downstairs bar is almost finished. And I saw a picture recently um, where they've painted the ceiling of the uh, the club venue downstairs. And they've used the... uh, the artwork from Brave New World. So like you've oh, got yeah. the edge in yeah. the clouds and that's now on the ceiling and it looks phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. So uh, yeah. So is the pub as oh, it's not in Carrot and claret blue, we'll be alright. Uh, I think I think that one of the features of the pub is going to be claret and blue. Oh is it? I'm no. so, uh, uh... <laughs> sorry you said that. Yeah, that's what it was gonna be. So <laughs> is the pub um, the pub section open? No, 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 it's not thrown until about March. Right, okay. All right. That get pushed back, and that will get pushed back. You know, there, um, there's a lot of little things that have gone on. I mean, I don't know if you know that, um, that John Duffus, his ashes were sent into the foundations, they were pouring into the foundations of above, so he would always be there. I think mean, that's pretty cool. That's. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's a really um, a sort of small, warm, family type community around the carton horses, isn't it? It's a, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't like it open again because you know yeah, I mean, just that just get all those people back together in one place again would be brilliant. Yeah, yeah, you you,
0: you really get that impression even just looking at the Facebook page that they have, you know. So. Um, well, yeah. Look, episode two. If you re- we did a, a really extensive uh, show about the cart and horses, and go go back and look at that. We did that in well mid two thousand nineteen now. Um, uh, now another site, Eddie's lamp post um, in North London. We ex- covered that extensively on episode twenty four. Um, Loopy, is has any any update on that as the, the, the No I've i not heard anything
1: um, I've not been on Steve's site's website. Okay. But, so I've no idea what's going on.
0: All right. Okay then look guys, let's let's explore some of these um some of these other places. So the plough
1: and harrow. <laughs> I don't even know why why I think um I mean it's not not far from Steve's name's not far at all. I mean, it's literally five-minute walk. Um, yeah, I mean, the only connection I can think of is that they played there um, with Dennis up. Other than that, I mean, I never went there with a band. So, uh, I can't, uh, I can't have much of that, but... OK. I'm, su- I'm sure that there was something in Steve's diary on the early days, part one DVD, with that, whether that was the Plough and Harrow. Um, probably have to have a look back on that, but I, I think you're right, Lupe, I think it was Dennis Wilcox's era that they, yeah. they played the Plough and Harrow, yeah. I mean, I went there, uh, it's got to be about four or five years ago, it was before Birthday started. Um, And that's where I first met Andy Holloway. I don't know if Darren Witt was there, um, Phil Cole. There was uh, quite a few people who turned up. This was the first time I've met any of them. And that was all due to... um, I think it was... uh, I think it was Air Force's uh, first uh, reunion gig or something. Oh, right, yeah, Uh, yeah. And um, Dennis Wilcock turned up. And... um, I sat over and you know, I knew who he was but he obviously didn't know me at the time, um, but yeah it's, it's, it's a weird pub, it's, it's, you've got to come out of the main pub itself and you've got to go into the entrance next door to sort of, you know, get in and that's how they, they make sure you've paid and all this. <laughs> You know, it's not <laughs> like the ruskin, you know, you went into the bar and you walked through the bar and you, you know, where the band were playing, it got to be a bloody penny, you know. And...
0: Alright, so yeah. so for sort of fans, travelling fans, want to visit the Plough and Harrow, where, where do they go? Uh,
1: it's on Leydenstone High Road, uh, near Harrow Green, that's the, uh, that's the best place to visit. Uh, Excellent. Best way, Excellent. To. Okay, um, Lupe, you mentioned one
0: of the other sites before, um, Steve's Nan's House. Talk to us about Steve's Nan's house.
1: Um, well I will give the address away now because it's not gonna matter a jot. I mean a lot of people uh, post the picture of the front door all over all over the internet and um, um number 40 steel road and that's S-T-E-E-L-E road. Now it's in uh eleven. uh e Again, it's not far from the Plough and Harrow, so if you find the Plough and Harrow, you can find Steel Road, because all you do is you walk towards, um, towards Stratford, and Steel Road comes up in the left-hand side. Um, I had no idea who lives there uh, now, but um, the front has changed, they've obviously now got new windows in, you know, using a, um, using like a PVC double-glazed windows. and it's, it's taken away a bit of the character when we had the old um, Smith windows like before. Um, we used to store all with um, all the band gear in the front room downstairs. And then, you know, we used to go in the room like uh, behind that, sort of the living room. And that's where Nan would come in like with, with cups of tea and trays of biscuits and yeah. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah. Was, was that when Steve's family were living there with his nan as well? Uh, Steve was living there, but I don't know about the rest of the family. I mean, I don't know if Linda there or anything.
0: Loopy, how, um, how long, until what, when did Steve sort of formally live at
1: his nan's house? Uh, I have no idea. Um, in fact, in perfect I mean, even, even though I was with the band, well, he, he had his girlfriend, uh, Lorraine, who eventually married. Um, but I don't know when he officially moved out.
0: I can't remember where I read this, but I think it's, it's, I thought it was far uh, up to, you know, recording of the first album.
1: Or even... Everybody... Yeah, it's, it's very possibly right. Yeah. Um, up to that point, he probably had nowhere else to go anyway. Mm. Um. But then when he got married to uh, Lorraine, um, I'm talking, that was what eighty, eighty one, eighty two. Mm. Might have even been a bit later than that. Um, he was living in a in a quite decent sized house uh, around the back of uh, Redbridge Station in Wanstead. Um. But other than that, I've no idea when he actually sort
0: of moved into his nan's or moved out, but don't know. So the significance of his nan's house really is basically as the band was born and growing in those early days, it it, it, it was really his sort of...
1: It it was a good base for him because everybody was fairly close by. Yeah. I mean, all right. Doug lived in uh, lived in Walthamstow, and Dave lived in um, in Clapton at the time. But myself and Paul, we both lived in Leighton. Well, in fact, Paul was in and I lived in Leighton Stone, and I was the closest to Steve. So the only messages for Steve, they got passed over to me, and I'd sort of run round there and give him the message. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, it, it it was. A good base for him.
0: Excellent. All right, next up, um, The Blind Beggar. Now this is really going back really early, it's sort was of pre-maiden days, but uh, The Blind Beggar was in 1974-75, wasn't it, when Steve was
1: playing with Gypsy's Kiss, is it? That... would have been, I think didn't they have a, a photo session there with Barry Perkins and uh, Dennis Wilcox. Yeah. There is there is a picture, isn't there, of them outside? Yeah, I outside, right? Yeah. it's got these Yeah, and someone yeah, with a walking stick as well.
0: Yeah, I think they had two uh, two blind or well, two guys dressed up as blind guys right. with, with two walking with, yeah, sticks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, not
1: not a, a monumental sight, but nevertheless. The figure it. itself, I mean, it's also synonymous with um, the craze, the craze yeah. Twins. It is, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, now they were the underworld, sort of London gangsters, weren't they? Yeah, they were yeah.
1: Don't, don't use the word. <laughs> don't use the word. Um, no, they, I mean,
0: they, they. Yes, they were. They were gangsters. You
1: yeah, know, as simple as that. Um, uh, and just knowing I mean, that they ran. The East End of London, and they, they basically did. they tried to spread out, but there were other gangs elsewhere that were going. No, that's not going to happen. And that's when like the violence and the killings side, and yeah, fascinating story. I
0: never knew that side of London existed. I mean, I know every city has an underbelly. I, I get all that, but never really associated that with uh, London, to be honest. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, like gotcha. they, were, they were the East End Boys, weren't they? Oh, they but were,
0: absolutely. Yeah. 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 all right, next. Uh, the uh, in no particular order of the band's history, but um, the bandwagon, the bandwagon, everybody knows the bandwagon. It was um, basically, um, very, very famous story. The Neil Kay um, <coughs> it was the DJ at the bandwagon, um, the, the band submitted a tape to him. He was a bit dismissive at the start until he heard it. And we all know this famous story, he played it at the club and the Prowler went to number I one. I,
1: actually, I think I've actually covered this before. Um, but to uh, to um, drop people's memories, it was myself, Steve, uh, Diano, and uh, Steve's girlfriend, I think, uh, we all drove um, in Steve's and Anne's car, round to the Sandhouse, uh, or bandwagon, It's um, Kingsbury. And um, we went in, and all I remember was this, this noise. I mean, it's not a noise, you know. It was rock being played at the, the, the volume that it should be played at. And that's what Neil Cade was all about. You know, he didn't put any punches. He just went for it. He had his own, own PA, you know, his own amplifier racks, and, it, and the sound was just unbelievable. You know, it's, it's Paul said at the bar, and Steve said to me, we we'll gonna go up and give this tape to uh, give this tape to Neil." And um, at the time, that uh, it was this, the um, the bandwagon that were releasing a top. Heavy metal top twenty to sound, We were reading it each week, and um, we went up to uh, up to Neil Woods, sort of passing the tape, and he went, "Well, I'll be honest, man. You know, I like get ten of these a day, and you know, it's like if I get the time, I'll give it a listen." And so he went, "Please do, you know, but, but you'd be missing out if you don't." And um, that was. I can't mean, remember what a night that was, but within three days, my phone rang because there, there were two numbers on the, uh, on the cassette case. It was my number, was Steve Harris, and my phone rang, and it's Neil Kelly going, oh man, I have just listened to the tape. He, he was going absolutely mental. He loved it. And uh, I went, hang on, you took me to the wrong Steve. I said, what do you want us to do? And he said, right, well, I want you guys to come and play this weekend. Uh, okay, I'll go and get the other seat and we'll call you back. So I took his number down and I ran as quickly as I could round to Harris's place. And I told him, Neil Kay had been on the phone and he, they, they wanted us to play the band out so like this weekend. And Harris went, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. And he just did that about 40 times. And... Um, he went back, like he, he jumped in the car with me, and he, you know, we went back to my place, and um, got on the phone to Neil, and we was on the phone for about 10-15 minutes, and he said, "That's it." He said, "I've like, got a gig booked for this weekend." Anyway, we were in rehearsal studios, and um, that's when it all sort of got turned upside down. because Doug being probably the only sensible one at the time? When we're not ready, and he was right. It that was another couple of months before we actually started gigging because they just weren't quite ready. I think it, it, if the failure had gone out and started gigging then, when Neil K. had asked, Phantom and the Opera would probably never have made the first album because it was nowhere near finished. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's just little things like that, you know, it just does make you think. <laughs> If this hadn't happened then that wouldn't have happened it's, you know, it's it's 'cause finally opera itself, um I mean Steve was messing about with it. I mean yes, they they played it before, but Steve was messing about with it and trying to get Paul introduced to the song. And so many time changes and all the rest of it and trying to sort of get used to it. But also Doug was relearning it as well. So, it, you know, it was, that, that just went on, for, I think it was about six
0: months, it took, to actually get, get perfect. It's a, it's a very complex song, a very complex yeah. song. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, and, and it just underpins the fact that Maiden were a progressive band, from the word goes. Yeah. So,
1: uh, okay. back to going back to that, the bandwagon, um, that was where um, COD first came <laughs> to, on the scene, wasn't it? because he was a regular at the bandwagon uh, right. back in those days. And I'm sure that he was uh, really good friends with Neil K at the time back in those days. Um, and also he had the Rob Loonhouse as well, didn't you? With a, yeah. a cut-up guitar. Yeah. And uh, digressing a little bit, I remember Cobb telling me a story once that Maiden were playing with Samson down in Guildford. And, Cod took one of House's cardboard cutout guitars with him to the gig um, and Bruce actually nicked it from the dressing room and used it in Samson because they were, I think Samson was supporting Maiden on that show, and Bruce. it, uh, Brooke, sure, but, was it the might, other way around? Yeah, yeah, it well, Brooke, sure. yeah. uh, Bruce nicked the cardboard cutout guitar and broke it. I haven't called him. He was—I cardboard cutout guitar, but the dilemma was telling Rob Llewellyn off that one of his cardboard cutout and He just went, "So, like, right, man, I'll just make another one." So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's another little bit of a history that came from the band. Maybe, he, he, he he he, he did uh, uh, he he made one out of the hardboard in the end, mm. and uh, that was the one he used at the Rainbow. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Paul. Um. Is... Cod is um, quite a legendary figure in amongst the Divine Maiden fans. That um, you know, we, we've mentioned. I mean, we've mentioned a few, a few times, or in in you've brought, brought him up. Now yeah. we we speak about him on uh, sort of off air. C- could you just tell everybody who Cod was and and how long you knew him? And all that?
1: Yeah, Cod. Well. Lukey obviously knew him longer than I did. I knew Codrow for over 30 years, yeah. He Keith Chadwick was his roommate. Um ardent Barnett supporter. Um he actually lived first time I ever went to his house where he lived, he lived uh, on the same road as where Barnett Football Club was. At the time he used to have his infamous uh summer barbecues that uh, got a bit messy. <laughs> but no, he was originally he was a bandwagon Guy, he and his friends all went to the bandwagon for the the rock nights, um, and then when Maiden started playing there, uh, he he struck up a bit of friendship with uh, Dave and Steve. Um, mainly, Dave uh, was his friend. Uh, he would literally go to all the shows. He would drive them around, do stuff as well with, with the guys. Um, and yeah, he was yeah he was a, a legend amongst Maiden fans. You know he. I think they a Birmingham uh, Odeon 83 World Peace Tour. They presented him with on stage. I think it was a a cup or something to mark his 100th Maiden show. And then in Donington 88 was his 300th Maiden show. And I know speaking to him I saw him at the O2 in 2018, a couple of months before he sadly passed away. And he was at over 500 shows then. So he was, he was like a, back in the eighties, he was, he was like an honorary road crew member. Wow. He would literally be on the road with the band travel with either the band or the crew. Um, yeah, he was, like, you know, people who knew him, knew what he was like. He was most down one of the most down to earth guys you'd ever meet, you know, generous to a fault as well. He was, I mean, he was, uh, he was always around. Always around. Yeah. yeah. And even when I went to see Maiden, uh, Maiden Abroad. Yeah. He, he rang me seven, seven o'clock in the morning once. (coughs) And I said, what are you ringing me this time for? he said, well, I'm at the show in New Zealand. This was 2009 and (laughs) Do you you want a t-shirt? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, cheers mate. Yeah, he he, he did, I know he did Australia 2008, New Zealand 2009, I know he did South American shows in the early 90s, he he went everywhere, yeah, literally everywhere. Paul,
0: was he travelling overseas, say Europe, for example, even back in the 80s or was he mainly just... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because in those days, is it correct? Would it would be correct to say it was rare, or I wouldn't say un, unheard of, but rare for fans to travel.
1: It was. I know. I know him and uh, Nick, who's one of his best friends. Who Nick actually did the um, eulogy at his funeral. I remember seeing photos of them telling stories about how they actually drove to Paris. I think it was in '80, 80, '81. Wow. To see them. Um, that oh, I've obviously I've seen them on social media pictures of them on the ferry and driving here and stopping there and being at the Eiffel Tower and stuff. And I'm sure it was 19, 1980, yeah, might be 81. This is the whole the yeah, yeah. No, it like, was definitely 80 81, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, because the whole culture of uh. Uh, you know, traveling to for maiden gigs re- amongst the fan base, I'm, it's really become quite prevalent. Sort of in the last you know, 20, 21 yeah. years, hasn't it? Twenty two since yeah. Yeah. since the post reunion era, um, as the younger the fans have uh, come on, it, it's become quite common for people who can do it to do it. I I certainly don't yeah. recall. I certainly don't recall it being like that in the 80s i don't recall it being like no, that in, no. in the 90s either um you know i mean
1: I think a few did in the 90s yeah i think that's sort of when it first started but it was a trickle wasn't it really not yeah. you would call it that like a mass migration sometimes isn't it <laughs> when they but um, i know there was a few people on the forum that were uh, based in europe at the time you know english fans so they got to see the band out there while well, they were living and working out there but not actively traveling from
0: the UK to the show, so. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah. I don't, yeah, he did, I, he did. I know fans from, you know, all bands, the, the, the hardcore diehard fans do travel to see their favorite band, but with Maiden fans, it's it's on mass, isn't it? It's just on another is, level yeah. altogether. It's, it's, it's incredible,
1: so, uh, hence why. Good to see as well, it is good to see. yeah. yeah. You see the photos I posted all over Facebook, etc. Uh you know, and like some people after the show, all sort of standing together, holding up the different flags, and it's, yeah. It's, yeah,
0: it's impressive. Yeah, look, it is one of the most poignant things I've ever seen uh, at a, a you know a public event. And then that is just flags of you know a myriad of different countries, at, just just flying, just being waved around at a maiden concert. Uh, it, it's almost like the United Nations, really. It's it's <laughs> fantastic. I love it. I just love it. Mm. All right, w- where are we going next? Uh, are we going to tell us, someone tell us about, well, the Ruskin Arms. Let's talk about the Ruskin Arms,
1: shall we? Oh, God. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right, bands, um with Paul Llano, the, the band's second gig was a Ruskin, and um, it was absolutely packed. Um, I I think safely the place could only hold around about 250 300 people max and it, it was it was chocker block and it did stay like that every time Maiden played there we'd get at least 250 300 people in that pub and if they couldn't couldn't get in to see a band they would wait out because there was like a, a corridor that went into the pub, and that, that's where we used to take the equipment in and out, and we used to store our empty cases down there. You know, if, but later, later years uh, the flight cases were getting bigger and bigger, and um, we'd store them down the sides of the alley, and um, people would sit out there, and there'd, there'd be beer glasses all over our cases, and you know, it, 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 people would stand out there, At least so they, they could hear it, and um, it's a fantastic place.
0: Where was but, it? Oh, so it doesn't exist anymore, does
1: it? I think the pub is still there, and uh, they they try to turn it into a, a restaurant. They try to turn it into a hotel.
0: The last I heard,
1: it was all boarded up, um, and it was being sold to developers. That's the last I heard. Um, as far as I'm aware, it's still there.
0: So if somebody watches a show and then they want to just walk past the see the outside facade. Well you've got to get
1: to, um, got to, get to the East Ham Station on the um, on the District Line, and when you come out of station, turn right and walk about half a mile. It's on the right hand side.
0: Fantastic. From one venue, actually, no. I want to ask you, before we move on to uh, the move away from the Ruskin Arms. When was the last show the band played at the Ruskin Arms that you remember? The the final show.
1: Oh. I 80, eighty-one, wasn't it? Well, the thing is, that they went back again with Bruce, didn't they? I think that was eighty-one. Well, I think it was Christmas eighty-one. Oh, that was the warm-up. So, so was the, I, uh, went up with, uh, I went eight eight, out with. I went out with wasn't
0: it? it? Yeah. So, the, uh, Paul, if I'm not mistaken, they were the shows where they started playing some of the new songs that were going to be on the reissue yep. album, wasn't it? I Runs remember the they hills, be...
1: definitely. I think "Hallowed Be Your Name" was
0: as so. Avenue and 22
1: Acacia Avenue. Um, yeah, definitely uh, Run to the Hills. And yeah. Did they, um, that, did they do that for Cherry? Like no, there was they did, a, they did a, a Help London Child Show, didn't they, at the Rusty Arms? I think they, they did. did it under the name of Genghis Khan, which I think was 1980, because I remember, I'm sure Keith told me that the tickets weren't it was. So he sort of was told to sort of, no, it's Maiden, and, you know, and the ticket sort of sold out. I, whether that was 80 or 81, but I know they definitely did like Help a London Child or child line or something like that for a Ruskin Arts show. But um, I think the last time they played there as a band, was 81 December.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I think you're right. No, you I think you're absolutely right, Paul. I think mean, they did the Breaking in Bruce tour in Italy. And That's then right. yeah. December, just a few days before Christmas, they did a, a run of shows, a few shows at the Ruskin Arms. And they effectively, it was the warm up to, to sort of showcase a few of the new songs. Um, like you said, Run to the Hills. Um, I definitely know 22 Acacia was played. Um, I mean, it, it, I have the I have the bootlegs, so that, that's that's sort of what I remember. When I was like bootleg, I've said to you, you laugh, Loopy, but I say boot bootlegs are uh, a a real nice sort of you know historical kind of time capsule of the band's life history. Absolutely, yeah, it's great. I love it. Um, let's go from one venue. I'm minute. not a
1: fan of bootlegs. I've I'm not a fan. Why? Because 90% of the bootlegs I've heard are so bad, quality-wise. I mean, I've not listened to a uh, decent bootleg. You know, and, the whole
0: lot of time. I agree with you. Look, I agree with you. There are some that are just appalling, okay? But um, i tell you what. Go and listen to, and every, every, everybody watches, go and listen to a couple of the following shows. Oxford, 1986. Um, Budokan... Tokyo, 1987, Chicago, 1987, and, um, you, you, know, they, those recordings are so good.
1: I've uh, got the, the, oh, no, no, no,
0: no, the, of- like- no, no, they were audience recordings, but they are wow. so damn good. They may as well have been live, uh, live releases. I'm really serious.
1: Oh, right. About, yeah, yeah, I've got Paris 80, 80-
0: Six. Oh, that soundboard. Yeah, that soundboard. Yeah. yeah, well, I've got
1: that on DVD. I've got the DVD yes, that's of the right. show. Yeah, that was. It's really, really good. That was yeah,
0: filmed yeah. by the fan club, I think. Um Ipswich, nineteen eighty-three, is also uh, an absolute. Yeah. Cracker. Yeah, I've yeah, I've got that. Yeah, Edinburgh yeah. eighty-three is a good one um I've, I've got some 82 ones as well Brit-
1: 81 and 82
0: Yeah I think Bristol 82 is a is a really really nice gig so so yeah. yes there are some quite quite bad audience recordings but the ones that I've named I just recommend everybody if you can get your hands on them have a listen they are mm. they are great I think Wembley 88 is a good one um and and you know what they're not edited you you hear all the mistakes and Bruce's rants and all sorts of stuff. They're actually really funny.
1: The one is, yeah, the rally free where he, he rants on about uh, Frank Herbert. Frank it, and I, land, yeah.
0: That's right. And I think Hammersmith 83. I mean, you, you guys were there. Hammersmith 83 He was talking about the FA Cup, wasn't he? Because um, at, at, at Chelsea or Arsenal one, I can't remember, but he was, no. No,
1: that was where well, he was talking about the FA Cup from I can remember was 93 Birmingham NEC oh. where Arsenal were playing Sheffield Wednesday in the replay on that night because I went I went to this the Saturday final and I, I, Wembley, I went to see Maiden or Wembley Arena on the Monday night and then NEC on the Thursday which was when the replay was which we're going to touch on the
0: ninety-two, ninety-three episode that we're going to be. be. We are, yes we are. See, football and Iron Maiden are just so intertwined. I think we we just have to wear our football kits one day on this show. But now, uh, going from one uh, venue to another, the Marquee. Yes. Sir. Never yes. went to the Marquee.
1: Never, Never went. there.
0: Where is it, Loopy? Or where was it? Uh, it was Moody,
1: two, wasn't it? Okay. Well, no, I mean, the old original Marquee was in Waldorf Street, number 100. Um, which is now a swanky posh restaurant and you have to add, like they do have a dress code so you've really got to dress up and get <laughs> in this place but what they did is they actually knocked the old marquee down to build this restaurant it's on the same site oh, and um, one thing I, I did notice right, to get to the marquee the, the, the easiest way is to go to Oxford Street uh, station come out of Oxford Street Station into Oxford Street itself. Turn right, and it's about three turnings down. Wardour Street is on your right hand side, and then you walk down, uh, and the Marquee Club is on your left. Um, very, uh, very sort of very small entrance. There was a ticket box on the left hand side, um, and then basically you walked through into the venue at the back on the left, and that's where the club sort of opened out. and The sofa was on the left, and um, the bar was round on the right hand side. Um, but what I remember about it is at the back, you've got Richmond News, and that's where we had to sort of try and get the Green uh, the Goddess to reverse. <laughs> Like down, or even driving forward, but vehicles either side. So There's only a tiny little lane, really. Imagine like vehicles either side, and you've got to do this tight bend at the top, but like before you can come down to like behind the marquee so to unload, then there wasn't enough room to turn around. So, whichever way you came in, you've got to go out the same way. So, you came in forward, you've got to reverse out, and again you got these vehicles, really, really tight parts. And how Vic ever got that vehicle, got the old green goddess in and out there is beyond me. And then afterwards, the billions are all double, double yellow lines, trying to find somewhere to park. I have no idea where Vic used to park the van. But uh, that, that's what I remember about that. But the uh, the Market Club itself, um, Showtime, it was already hot and sweaty. And that's before the band had even gone on the stage. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, you imagine that like, sweat dripping off the ceilings and, you know, it, it was just something like a tiny, tiny little, little club. And again, capacity was around about 300. And, uh, but it was, it was the prestige of sort of making that step up. Now, once you did the marquee, the next step was obviously either Hammersmith or it would have been uh, the Rainbow, Finsbury Park um, or the British Academy, you know, it, it was just the natural step. Mm.
0: Yeah, so, so the most important, so, so they, well, they were playing there in
1: 79, 80, yeah. that was that era weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean so, we, yeah. The, the other one that, um, that we haven't mentioned would have been the news Machine Academy. Um, I mean that, that place probably held Five to six hundred. Wow. And you know, they're doing that as well, along with acts like um, you know, Nuts, Samson, Andy Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and we I mean, we started off as a, as a support act, um, and then gradually sort of made their way up to like sort of being the headline act. Um, and that's where uh, Dave Wright's quite blown me up. Usually all you've got to do to make the pyros work is press that button there. And I pressed that button there when I was told to press it and all the electrics went out. <laughs> I mean, everything, just everything. And there's poor Doug sitting there like playing the drums not, re- not even realising that like, like the band have stopped because they've got no electric. It's actually quite funny. Where,
0: but, is, uh, where is Dave
1: watch these days? Where is he with uh, he's living in, um, in uh, Chester which is up near uh, Manchester Way um, and I spoke to his daughter a little while ago, um, Dave's doing fine, he's just, he has quiet moments where he just can't be bothered to talk to anybody so I just leave him alone, go okay. get in touch with him if he needs anything. Fair enough. All right, uh, the bridge
0: house.
1: Yes, sad story. Um, Maiden's first gig with poles at the Bridge House, and um, from what I remember it's probably only about 50 or 60 people there. Um, And I don't really remember that much about it. Um, I remember loading the gear in and I remember that the band got up and did their their bit and packed everything away and drove away. Um, I used to go back there quite a bit to see um, see Dennis Stratton played with um, RDB, Greensdown Boulevard, Um, and then the pub got closed, and the reason being that um, Docklands Light Railway wanted to use the land that the pub was on. And uh, so the pub got shut down, the pub got knocked down. And in the end, Docklands Light like Railway found that they didn't actually need that bit of lane, so the pub couldn't remained. mummed. Right, that might be a bit controversial, but when you look at the underground maps now, um, or if you look at the, like, um, the Google Maps to see where the uh, Bridge House actually was, it was literally on a roundabout of, um, of uh, I think mean, it was the Barking Road, um, and then one, one road sort of went off towards um, Silver Town. Um, the other part of the, the road went over uh, towards the city. Um, the site itself has just been left left blank. But it was in Canning Town, wasn't it? Canning Town, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. I haven't got the uh, the map for that one. Not far from where uh, Keith used to live, wasn't
0: it? Hmm.
1: If, if anybody, he, yeah, Keith was probably yeah, close. Keith was Canning Town, wasn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. where. Yeah, that's where his uh, sound <coughs> effects were mailed out from his mums, wasn't it? In Canning Town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah.
0: <laughs> Good right, uh, guys, is, is it worth uh, talking about Hollywood Studios? Hey, Just a quick mention to the punters about the significance of Hollywood Studios,
1: just very brief. I think studios, um, back when you found that the um, top end golf, uh, Road, sort of going into the city, um, as you get to the roundabout, you turn turn right, and the first turn on the right, the studio was on the left behind the pub, and um, Maiden always tried to use Studio One because it was. Slightly more spacious than the other two studios. It, uh, the owner, um, John something, can't remember his surname, but he was the owner of um, Metal Mickey, which is a which is a character, like a robot, an it's awful cool. TV program. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, John. I mean, if yeah. he's never used to write that, he's just owned Metal Mickey.
0: Loopy, and what so, what what years are we talking about with Hollywood Studio? So, what what sort of time? Late, we, this would have been late. Um, no, in fact, Yeah, we've been late seventy-eight. Okay, so so Paul, uh, Paul was in there. Okay, so yeah. Paul Paul Allen, Yeah. So basically, the yeah. first album lineup. Was